Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, it's wonderful to be here uh, with God's family to worship our Heavenly Father. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Scott Deasing. I'm an elder here at Providence. And if you're visiting with us, uh, we welcome you and we hope to get to know you better uh, after the service. Before we worship God, we're going to have a few announcements. I have three announcements that aren't in your bulletin. Uh, one is that Pastor Canode has started a new uh, series in the Christian Education Hour, which is right before this one. It doesn't actually last an hour. Um, when I'm teaching, it feels like it lasts more than an hour, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, he's starting a new series on Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and I guarantee you it will be good because Pastor Canode is very thorough and pulls out a lot of good stuff from God's Word. Another announcement, pretty excited about this one. Uh, we have two members, John Spranger and David Capella. Uh, they have gone through a year-long training process and were recently examined by the session and were found to be highly qualified to stand for election as deacons for our congregation. And you'll have an opportunity to elect them Saturday, January 27th. Hopefully you'll be here for that. Uh, on a sad note, George, Shannon's, Shannon Milan's uncle, passed away. So be, uh, be in prayer for their family. So a couple of announcements that are in the bulletin I'll highlight. Um, one, another exciting news is we have, do we have Ellie? Um, yes, we have Ellie here, good. <laughs> Ellie Casey is going to be joining us uh, as a member of Providence later on in the service. And today, we've been collecting the OPC thank offering, and today will be our last offering. However, you could still put a check in the, uh, uh, the plate next week. If you want it to go to that, you have to designate it on your check or put it in an envelope and designate it on the envelope. The last announcement I'll make today is that we have a Christmas banquet coming up this Saturday. And if you are a strong young man, you might want to come to evening service tonight and help set up the tables because we'll be setting the tables up tonight for that. But the Christmas banquet is next Saturday or this coming Saturday at 5 p.m. That concludes our announcements. And while we listen to the prelude, let's prepare our hearts for worship. <clears throat> Let's stand as God calls us to worship from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand 
are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let's sing the doxology on page 567. join your hearts with me in a prayer of invocation. Gracious Heavenly Father, we call upon your holy name today and ask you to visit us by the power of the Holy Spirit through your Son, Jesus Christ. Though we have not seen him, we love him. Though we do not see him now, we believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. Fill us individually and corporately with your Holy Spirit so that we may see Jesus with the eyes of faith and that we may give him the praise and honor that he deserves. Amen. Uh, please remain standing while we sing our first hymn, hymn 293, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, hymn 293.
be seated. Please turn in your hymnal to the front, page Roman numeral 16, where we have the Ten Commandments. We'll be reciting those in a moment together. And the Ten Commandments are a summary of God's moral law, a summary of his perfect holy law. And there's another summary that we know of, of the, of the law of God, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. So keep those, that summary in mind as we read the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Having heard God's law, let us confess our sins by reciting the prayer of confession in the bulletin. Heavenly Father, you are full of goodness and mercy, and we are full of sin and all kinds of iniquity. Against your holiness, our sins are like filthy rags. We are altogether vicious and corrupt. Apart from your grace, we would be lost in our sins, slaves to various passions and pleasures, continuing to pass our days in malice and envy. But you, O oh God, are good and merciful. Your steadfast love endures forever. Have mercy upon us, O oh God, and do not look upon our faults and iniquities, but look upon the righteousness, 
holiness, purity, and innocence of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus, who died for us. Forgive us of our sins for his sake. Amen. Fellow believers in Jesus Christ, God gives us clear assurance that our sins are eternally forgiven in his word, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. Let's continue. Uh, let's stand and sing Psalm 23a, the Lord's my shepherd, Psalm 23a. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. It's good to see you all today and to worship with you. Hope you had a good week and some time of uh, relaxing, time of rest. We'd like to invite you now this morning to uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. This morning we will look at Philippians 
Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9 will be uh, the focus of the sermon this morning. I would like to begin the reading in verse uh, 2 and we'll read all the way through verse 11. Before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father and our God, O Lord, we praise you and we are in awe at your awesome majesty, your awesome wonder and wisdom that is revealed in all of creation. For the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above declares your handiwork and day to day pours out speech. Father, we pray that you would remind us of the glory of your Son that is revealed in creation and that he is the Word of God who is through whom all things have been made and by whom all things are upheld. And yet as beautiful as your creation is, O Lord, we are in awe at the revelation of your abundant mercy revealed in the death and resurrection of your Son. We thank you, Father, for the gospel. We thank you for the infinite wisdom that is revealed in the gospel. And we pray as the gospel goes out this morning that your people would be changed by it, that lost sinners would be converted and would come to know faith in Jesus Christ and would experience forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God. Father, do this good work in in your people to the praise of your glorious grace. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 2. Beloved, this is uh, the word of God. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Now this verse is, of course, a continuation of verse 8. I count everything as loss in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Verse 9. So it might seem strange to preach on verses 7 through 8 as we did last week and then in another sermon preach on verse 9 by itself since the two uh, verses, the three verses are connected. Uh, But I hope to show that this and what we'll be doing in the next couple of weeks as well, I hope to show that this is a somewhat legitimate move Verse 9, 10, and 11 can be understood as further explaining what it means in verse 8 
to gain Christ. What does it mean to gain Christ? And what actually do we gain? What are some of the benefits that we gain by believing in Christ and trusting in him? Well, this is, hopefully this will be answered in the next, uh, today in the next couple of weeks. Verse 9, you are justified. That is what we are looking at today. Gaining Christ by faith means you are justified. You have justification. That is a benefit. Verse 10, you are sanctified. And you continue to be sanctified through your whole life. That is another benefit. And finally, you will be glorified at the resurrection. Verse 11, he mentions the resurrection from the dead. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Those are benefits that flow to you from Christ, that you gain in Christ. And so this is what we will be looking at for the next couple of weeks, and I hope you can understand now why this is a legitimate move. Now think of it in this way. If a poor peasant girl marries a rich prince, when they get married, she is united to him. That is what we will be looking at, is our thinking about today and the next couple of weeks, our union with Christ, these benefits that flow from being united to Christ. Well, this peasant girl marries a rich prince. She's united to him. She's now bonded to him. And because of this union she has with the prince, she inherits everything that he had and has as the prince. She obtains benefits from that union with him. Those benefits in that hypothetical situation would include adoption into the royal family. She is now a princess. She inherits a land. She inherits the riches of the kingdom, among other things. These are the benefits that this woman enjoys by virtue of her marriage to the rich prince, by virtue of her marriage union with him. This is how we can think about what it means to be a Christian, man or woman. We come into possession as Christians of salvific benefits by virtue of our union with Christ because we are now united to the prince of princes, an everlasting prince. We have in possession now everything that he has because of that union. That union is in view here when Paul talks about gaining Christ. In verse 9, he talks about being found in him. That's a reference to our union with Christ. And then when he talks about having faith in Christ again in verse 9, that is again a reference to our union with Christ that is appropriated by faith. Verse 9 then deals with the benefit of justification. That's what we were looking at Uh, This morning, what flows from our union with Christ by faith, that which comes through faith in Christ. This is one of the benefits that believers have in Christ. Verse 9 begins with Paul looking towards the future. He says, that I might be found in him. Now, some of you young kids who are here uh, this morning, some of you may like to play hide and seek, or maybe you can remember the time when you were at an age when you liked to play hide and seek. And you get into your hiding place and you're thinking, he will never find me here. He's going to be so surprised when he does find me here. You're talking about being found. What are you thinking about there? You're thinking about the future. Being found sometime in the future. So too Paul. He's thinking about the future. Being found in the future. To be found in him. Well, when will Paul be found? Well, he's, pri- he's primarily looking toward the last day. 
when Jesus returns. He mentions this explicitly in verse 11, the resurrection of the dead. When Jesus comes again, that will inaugurate its great resurrection from the dead. That is when believers will go to be with Christ in resurrected, glorified bodies. That is something we'll look at when we um, approach verse 11. To be found in Christ in the last day means to stand before God dressed in Christ's righteousness. He's thinking about the last day, being found in him. What will that be like for us as believers? We will be dressed in Christ's righteousness. To be found in him. When? On the last day, the day of the Lord. Now to be found by who? To be found by God. So gaining Christ by faith means that on the day of resurrection... God will not find you dressed in your own righteousness. That is not how he will find you. He will not find you in your own filthy, unholy righteousness, which is what we looked at last time, your own works of the law. He will find you, rather, robed with Christ's perfect righteousness. That is how he will find you. His perfect obedience will completely overshadow your imperfect righteousness, your sins, your unrighteousness. Christ's righteousness will overshadow that completely. And therefore, you will be found not in your own works, but in him. Whatever gain that you thought you had, well, that is not what God will find. He will find Christ. This is what it means to be found in him. God will judge us in other words, based on what his son has done for you, not on what you have done. His, Christ's righteousness, is credited to our account because by faith we are in him and we will be found in him on the last day. Now knowing this, because this is a reality for believers that we are in Christ, Paul can say with conviction For example, in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because you're not found in your own righteousness, you're found in Christ. And therefore there is no condemnation. That is what justification has to to deal with, and we'll look at that more as we go along. Having gained Christ by faith on the last day, you will be found by God in him, in his Son. Thus, on the last day, you will be publicly vindicated. You will be publicly justified. Something that you don't, the public nature, you don't have yet. The world condemns you. The world speaks ill of you, speaks evil against you. They point their finger at you. And so, in part, our vindication, our justification as those in Christ is somewhat hidden. Now, but then it will be publicly revealed. We will be then publicly vindicated and justified before all of heaven and earth. Now, that is future. Being found in Him is something that will happen in the future, but there is a present aspect to this as well. If we go back to the passage that we quoted from Romans, what does Paul say there? He says, There is now, presently, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Meaning that the moment that you are given faith, the moment you embrace Christ by faith in the gospel, you are right then and there and forever justified. 
That is when that took place. When you believed. You may not know what that exact moment is. Maybe you do. But if you have faith, you are now justified. There is now, presently, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, what is justification? Now, our Westminster Larger Catechism and Westminster Shorter Catechism propose that question. They answer it very well. We'll try to summarize it here. This is from Scripture, of course. What is justification? It is being declared by God to be righteous and innocent. If, if you want to remember the main parts of justification, it's that. That you are declared by God to be righteous and innocent. Not because of anything you have done or anything in you, but only for the perfect obedience and full satisfaction of Christ imputed to you and received by faith alone. It's not because of anything you have done, not because of anything that God found in you that compelled him to justify you. It's only because of what Christ has done for you and because you are found in him. You are innocent. You are declared righteous in God's eyes because of what Christ has done. The Catechism defines the benefit of justification as an act. Why? Because justification is a judicial verdict. It's like a judge pronouncing a verdict in a courtroom. The judge doesn't make the person innocent. If he declares that the person is innocent, he doesn't make them innocent. He simply declares it to the courtroom based on the evidence that that person is innocent and should be uh, freed. But what is the evidence in our case? Well, the evidence, friends, is the death of Christ. His perfect obedience, which culminated in his death. That is why we are declared innocent. And so we see here how Paul is looking to that future aspect of our justification, being found in him, but there's also a present aspect to this that is in view here. Something we have presently that can never be taken away. Not having a righteousness of my own, but having presently. You possess presently the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that comes through faith in Christ. Now this is significant for us, friends, because we all, all Christians, here at Providence and elsewhere, and in every generation, all Christians, we all, by virtue of our union with Christ, are equally justified. All of us, every single one of us who believe in Christ to have faith is justified. No one is more innocent than another. No one is less innocent than another. No one is more accounted as righteous than another. No one is less accounted as righteous than another. And so the 15-year-old who has faith in Christ is no more and no less justified than the 65-year-old who has faith in Christ. We are all equally justified, declared innocent, declared righteous by God. This is, this is how God looks upon us. He considers all of you innocent, all of you righteous. The God of the universe looks upon you and says that. That's the verdict. And it's for everyone. That renders, this is the righteousness from God that we have through faith in Christ. It is this righteousness from God that renders us righteous in God's sight. 
Now, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is conformity to a standard. Now, what is the standard in this verse? What is the standard in this system? It's God's law. It's the Ten Commandments that we just read, the essence of the Ten Commandments. Is God's law. That is the righteousness that is, view, that is in view, or the standard that's in view that defines that righteousness. And so we could say then, based on scriptural teaching, that God is righteous. He's perfectly righteous. His law is a revelation of his perfect righteousness. The law, as we've read this morning and the other summary, love the Lord your God with your whole being, love your neighbor as yourself, that is a revelation of God's perfect righteousness. Now, for sinful man, then, we, with Scripture, we are right to say that none are righteous. When you think about who is righteous and you look out into the world, none are righteous. That's the verdict that Scripture gives on all people apart from faith in Christ, that none are righteous. No one does good. We are all unrighteous because we break God's law at all points. Now think about this. If we are unrighteous, if we are by nature unholy, if the best we can offer, as we looked at last week, the very best that we can offer is, if that is garbage, I consider all things as garbage compared to knowing Christ. That's what we looked at last time. If it says garbage, filthy rags, and therefore loss, how can this holy God, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly holy, how can he allow and admit unrighteous sinners into his presence? How is that possible? How can a holy God, in him is light, there is no darkness at all, let people who are in love with the darkness into his presence, into loving fellowship with him? How is that even possible? His infinite and eternal holiness cannot have Loving fellowship with unrighteousness. So then, how is one accepted by God? Well, the Judaizers uh, from the previous verses, and really all those who are outside of Christ, they would answer the question, that question this way. We can appear before God and be accepted by having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law. That's how they answer that question. And that's how everyone must answer that question who are outside of Christ, who do not believe in Christ. They must believe that they can stand before God dressed in their own righteousness, having a righteousness of their own that comes from the law. This is how all men must think who, are, who do not have faith in Christ. Now, of course, that thought system, that belief system, works its way out in different ways, but at root level... That's what they must all believe. That they will be found on the last day in their own righteousness and that things will go well for them. That's how Paul once thought. They look at the law of God and they, they, they say, I can do that. I can fulfill this. They hear the Ten Commandments. I'm, I'll do a pretty good job of this. I'll be found in my own righteousness. Thank you very much. And things will be okay. I will, appear, I will appear before God and be, be found in my own works of the law, my own righteousness that comes from obeying the law. Now, of course, this is a perverted view because no matter what kind of righteousness you bring, it will always be a righteousness that comes from something altogether unholy. 
will always be that, which is why scripture describes that kind of righteousness as filthy rags and as garbage. We've already determined that that kind of righteousness is worthless. Now, what faith does, the faith that is mentioned here, the righteousness from God that comes by faith, that faith that is mentioned here at the end of this birth, this verse, when the Spirit gives you a new heart to believe in Christ, to trust in Him, what that faith does is it causes you to receive and to rest upon Christ for salvation. This faith that you're given by the Spirit causes you to embrace Christ and all that He is and all that He has. That is what faith does for you. And as you do that, as you are given faith, a new heart to do that, what happens? You completely let go of everything else. All things. Everything that you thought was gain. You completely let that go and fully embrace Christ and all that he is and all that he has for you. That is what faith does for you. And then you receive the only kind of righteousness that is accepted by God. It is the righteousness from God. What righteousness will God accept? Well, it's not your righteousness. Is there a righteousness that God accepts? It's the righteousness that he gives. The righteousness from God. And thus a holy righteousness. And it's yours by faith. It is accounted to you. It's credited to your account. Faith in Christ causes you to let go of having your own righteousness. And now that your hands are empty, you take hold by faith of another righteousness. Another righteousness that is of a completely different character altogether than the one that you were holding on to. It is not your own. The righteousness that you are in possession of now is perfect. It's holy. It's unstained. It's not filthy. It's white as snow. It's pure. It's sinless. That kind of righteousness. And then through this new righteousness that you actually have, with in Christ, you can actually have true loving fellowship with the holy and infinitely righteous God. And so the problem is solved. How can unholy people have loving fellowship with a holy, righteous God? It's impossible, according to man. But with God, all things are possible. Now you might think at this point, again, well, again, how, but how is that possible? How, how is it that God can just give us a perfect, sinless righteousness that renders us righteous, truly righteous in God's sight and innocent? No mere man since the fall has this kind of righteousness. And that is true. None are righteous. All have fallen short of God's glory. But the only place, the place where you will find this, the only place under heaven where you can find perfect righteousness such as this, to know God, to be accepted by him, the only place where you can find a righteousness like this is in a man who was not just a man. That which comes through, and by no other means, faith in Christ. That is the only solution, and that is the only place where you will find that kind of righteousness. It is in no one else, and it can be found nowhere else. This Christ, who was found in human form, 
became man, this is the one in whom Paul would be found, that I might gain Christ and be found in him. This was true for Paul, this is true for us, through every believer. By faith you have been given Christ and everything that he has and everything that he has done for you, to save you. He is the one in whom we will be found. He is the one in whom our lives are presently hidden. That is where we find our true identity, friends, is in him. We'll be found in him, and today we are in him. Our lives are hidden in him. They're defined by him. They're characterized by him. That is who we are, and that is who we will be into eternity. And therefore, friends, remember this. Remember this. To lay hold of Christ by faith is to take hold of the righteousness that comes from God. That righteousness that renders you, in the eyes of God, innocent and accepted as righteous. That is one benefit that God gives you in Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness that was outside of us, but now through faith in Christ has been imputed to us, credited to our account, so that we are now justified, and we will be then publicly justified. Now this justification, friends, that we have in Christ, this is also important to remember. This is something that we touched upon last week and even in the the previous week before that. This justification that you have as a believer in Christ, it cannot be increased and it cannot be diminished. It is equal in all believers. It can never be taken away. It can never be overturned. That is Scripture's pronouncement about this. It can never be increased, never diminished, and never taken away. It is something that we all share together and we all share equally. That which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now there are other benefits of salvation, of course. This this isn't all that Christ gives us. Justification is one benefit. And it's proper to distinguish it from the other benefits, but we should never separate them. To do so would mean to separate Christ. When we appropriate Christ by faith, we receive the whole Christ, not just parts of him, all of him. So Paul does not separate them here, which is why we are, taking, we are distinguishing them here, but we, we can also see that Paul doesn't separate them here. He groups them all together as part of what it means to gain Christ. And so next time, Lord willing we will look at the other great benefit, the benefit of sanctification that we have in Christ. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forever. Let's pray together, friends. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you, O God, for your abundant mercy to us, your people, as undeserving as we once, as we were, as we still are, as unholy and unrighteous. And yet you have been pleased to bestow upon us the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and have been pleased to grant us possession of the righteousness that comes from God that renders us innocent and accepted in your sight. We thank you, Father, that this is true for all of us, all those who believe, and that this is a permanent reality, regardless of the mistakes that we make, regardless of the sins that we commit against you and against our neighbor. 
Yet you are faithful, O God. So we do pray, Father, that as we meditate upon this wonderful gift of justification, that you would work in us a great contentment in Jesus Christ and a thanksgiving in our hearts, that we would respond to this great news, this good news, that we are innocent and accepted, that we would respond in the power of the Spirit with loving obedience, with service, Christ-like service for you and for your kingdom. Father, we thank you for justification. We thank you that in your eyes we are innocent and accepted as righteous because of what Christ has done. Father, we praise you for this. Father, we lift up to you now this morning the nations of the world and our nation. We thank you, O Father, for your abundant mercy that uh, you extend to all people in all lands and that you cause rain and sunshine to fall on the just and the unjust. Father, we pray for civil rulers around the world and for governments. And we pray, O God, that as you raise them up and bring them down, that you would accomplish your purposes and that you would dispose all things to your glory. We pray, Father, for your people, the church, for the saints who live in war-torn nations and nations where the government is uh, corrupt and uh, wicked and uh, tyrannical. We pray, Father, that as they, their backs are bent under the tyranny of wicked leaders, we pray, O oh Father, that you would give them strength to persevere. As we lift up to you the nation of Israel this morning, the nation of Ukraine, the nation of Haiti, we pray, Father, that your grace would be extended to them all. Father, we pray for our country and for our civil leaders, asking that you would bless our president and our governors and mayors across this region and in Texas and in our city. We pray, Father, that you would be merciful to them and give them wisdom from above and that they might rule well. We pray, Father, that uh, the churches in this country would be faithful to the calling that you placed upon them, that we would seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, knowing that you will give us all things. Father, we lift up to you our missionaries whom you've sent out into all the world asking uh, that your grace would be upon them, that you would use them for uh, the advancement of your kingdom and that you would bless them with your spirit and sustain all that they do. We pray this morning for the McCabe's in Asia, asking that you would use them for the advancement of your kingdom, that fruit would, there would be abundant fruit from Mike's ministry in this land. Father, we pray for the work of home missions in our region, asking that you would shepherd Pastor Sumter and Good Shepherd OPC and New Bronzeville's OPC. And we pray for other faithful churches who, um, who faithfully and uh, truthfully, with uh, willing hearts and through active faith in Christ, uphold the glory of Christ. Father, bless them all. Father, we lift up to you the needs of our church, asking that you would abundantly provide for us and uh, give us all that we need for both body and soul. And we thank you for the many benefits of salvation that we have in Christ and for uh, uh, the benefits and the blessings that you bestow upon us uh, still in this world. We pray, Father, that you would uh, provide for us and fill our hearts with thanksgiving for these things. Father, we lift you up to you, our church, and especially those who grieve and face trials of various kinds, of physical pain, spiritual pain. Father, be with them all. We lift up to you this morning, Jim Witt, William Scott, John Burleson, who all face cancer. We pray for Dorothy and Kay and Joyce, Jean, Hal, Alan, Cornelia, Hikari, Rosalie, the Broccolo family, Iona, Claire, the Acorafor family, Diane, Jerry and Kyle, Linda Nelson. We 
Pray that you would bless them all and provide for their needs. We lift up to you those who grieve as we pray for the Doobies and the Milams, the Johnsons, and for the Vanderlee family. We pray especially for Shannon Milam and his family, that you would wipe away all their, their tears and hold their tears in your bottle. And Father, grant them your comforting grace. Father, we lift up to you our expectant mothers, Amanda Potts. We thank you for her and the child growing in her womb. We pray that you would protect her and this baby. We thank you for our covenant children. We ask that your mercy would be upon them all, that they would serve you all of their days and uh, never know a day where they do not know the Lord. Father, we lift up to you this morning uh, the Chaka family. We thank you for Travis, Eliana, Sydney, and Julianne. We pray, Father, that you would mightily bless them and provide for all of their needs. We pray, Father, that you would fan into flame the gift of faith that you've given them, that they would serve your glory and serve one another in love. We pray, Father, that you would provide for this family and knit their hearts together in love, that they would bring you glory through their service and love for one another and through their service in the church. Father, fill our hearts with compassion for them. We pray that you would uh, compel us to pray for them continually and to meet their needs as, as they arise. Father, we lift up to you the chakas in the name of Christ, we pray. Father, we thank you that your ears are ever open to our our cries and to our prayers and our requests. We pray, Father, that you would answer them in accordance with your will, for we uh, lift them all up to you through our Savior and King, Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, beloved, we now have the wonderful opportunity to respond to the gospel of grace with our gracious uh, giving. May we be reminded this morning that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And may the Lord Jesus Christ be pleased to use our sacrifices for his wise ends. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to hymn 319, O come all ye faithful hymn. Oh, I'm sorry, that's incorrect. That's tonight. You can do that tonight. Come back tonight and we'll turn to that hymn tonight. Uh, if you would now turn in your uh, hymnals to page 851, uh, there you will find uh, the Apostles' Creed. And actually, 
We're not doing that either yet. I apologize. Let's put that on hold. I would like to invite uh, Ellie Casey to come forward and the session of Providence to come forward, please. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank our God for the grace that was given you, and that you have accepted God's promise of salvation and publicly confessed your faith in the Savior, Jesus Christ. We praise him that he brought you in uh, to fellowship with him through faith in Jesus Christ, and we rejoice that in his gracious providence he has now brought you here and has given you a desire, Ellie, to unite with us, and that... Um, you're willing to take your vows uh, this morning. And so we ask that you testify before us to the faith that you profess by giving assent to the following questions. Do you believe the Bible, consisting of the Old and New Testaments, to be the word of God and its doctrine of salvation, to be the perfect and only true doctrine of salvation? Do you believe in one living and true God, in whom eternally there are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, who are the same in being and equal in power and glory, and that Jesus Christ is God the Son come in the flesh. Do you confess that because of your sinfulness you abhor and humble yourself before God, that you repent of your sin and that you trust for salvation not in yourself but in Jesus Christ alone? Do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as your sovereign Lord? And do you promise that in reliance on the grace of God you will serve him with all that is in you, forsake the world, resist the devil, Put to death your sinful deeds and desires and lead a godly life. Do you promise to participate faithfully in the church's worship and service, to submit in the Lord to its government, and to heed its discipline, even in case you should be found delinquent in doctrine or life? Well, beloved, as Ellie has been received into full communion in this church, the whole uh, congregation is obligated to serve her, to pray for her, to set an example for her in uh, our lives. And we would do well to remember as well that these are vows that many of, of us have taken also before God and before the congregation. So we will aid Ellie in her walk with Christ uh, by being reminded of the very promises that we made before God uh, as well. well. Beloved, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I welcome you uh, to all the privileges of full communion with this congregation of God, God's people. I charge you, Ellie, to continue steadfastly in the confession that you have made, humbly relying upon the grace of God and the diligent use of the means of grace, especially the word of God, the sacraments, and prayer. And rest assured that if you confess Christ before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. May the God of all grace, who called you unto his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, and strengthen you, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.
today only has joined us in making it known that she too confesses these same precious truths. We pray that you would watch over and keep Ellie, cause us to love her and make her a part of our family in a way that she knows that she belongs here, even as she belongs to us. And we thank you also for the knowledge that her righteousness is not her own, but rather it is solely the righteousness of Christ, which you've seen fit to shower upon us all. We pray that you would bless each one of us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. As usual, we'll uh, invite of our faith in the gospel and let us all stand together as we do so, friends. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you would now turn to our final hymn, hymn 457, Jesus, Thy Blood and Righteousness, hymn 457.
Amen. Uh, just a reminder also, I'd like to invite uh, Ellie Casey to come forward after the service. And please uh, welcome Ellie into our fellowship and congratulate her uh, after the service. Now, friends of God, receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.